Hello, and welcome to Chasing Dramas, the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through Chinese TV dramas. This is Kathy. And this is Karen. Today, we are analyzing episode 9 of Ho Gong Jin Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace. So, in the last episode, we saw that our main character, Jin Huan, and the Emperor Yong Zheng finally get together, and he has showered her with attention. He took her to another palace for a lovely day spa, and he gave her a ton of gifts. All of the other concubines in the palace are inevitably jealous. For today's episode, we'll do more of a plot analysis. The ladies in Hou Gong, or the Imperial Harem, are getting restless, and people are putting some plots into motion. So let's see what happens. Episode 9 starts off with the powerful Hua Fei giving our main character Jin Huan and her friend Shin Meizhuang a hard time, mainly by trying to incite jealousy between the two. A few stray observations before we continue. Number one, this is probably my least favorite look of Hua Fei's. I don't know why, but her hairstyle for this episode or these couple of scenes are just not flattering to her face and makes her look much chubbier than she actually is. But that's just my take. And number two, I didn't really think about this too much the first however many times I've watched this drama. But if you think about it, the interaction between Jin Huan and Shin Meizhuang is really, really weird because both of them, they're friends, but they are ultimately serving slash sharing a husband. Can you imagine that with your friend? Also in the palace, you are supposed to call the other concubines by sister, like older sister, jie jie, or mei mei, which is younger sister, as a sign of respect and being part of a family. But that's just so weird by 21st century standards. Fortunately, Jin Huan and Shin Meizhuang were able to fend off the fighting words from Hua Fei, partly because Shin Meizhuang has also developed better bantering techniques against Hua Fei. So good for her. Hua Fei leaves them alone. We hear the two friends discussing, and Jin Huan is wondering if Shen Meizhuang is upset that she is now the favorite of the emperor. Well, Shen Meizhuang is very honest in saying that she'd rather it be Jin Huan because at least she won't turn around and harm her. Shen Meizhuang shares that she can't trust anyone in the palace except for Jin Huan, not even the other girl, An Lingrong. That night, the emperor is again spending time with Jin Huan, but she actually turns around to tell him that he should stop spending too much time with her, and it's been around seven days. But she's tactful in that she tells him she doesn't want the imperial harem to be a place of jealousy and hatred on her account. The emperor is a smart and respected emperor, and he should know what to do. Huang Shang, the emperor, is a little annoyed, but agrees. Again, in China, at least, it's a very modern concept to have one wife and one husband. You see here that she is literally pushing him away from her to save his uh, imperial rule. But he's, she's also doing this to protect herself. It's a very different standard for her and for the uh, imperial harem in general. The next day, the emperor Huang Shang goes to visit his mother, Tai Ho. Now, I absolutely love scenes between Yong Zheng and his mother because they have probably the most tiring conversations ever. Nothing is ever direct. Everything is calculated and guided. 
the online forums for their conversations are always hilarious because it's like, ugh, even as the emperor, Taiho is the ultimate big boss who controls everything. And the, and the, and the fans are always like, see, even if you have unlimited power as the emperor, you are still listening to your mother. So what do I mean? The Empress Dowager, or Taiho, starts out and says, Huang Shang, you seem quite energetic today. It looks like the people who are caring for you are doing a good job. Okay, that seems quite nice. The mother is making sure the son is taken care of. But um, I also think that's like an innuendo because, oh, someone's taking very good care of you, like, in bed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He says yes. He's recently gotten a Wan Guiren that he really likes. And we'll just ignore the fact that they're treating women like property and commodities. Remember also that Wan Guiren is the official title of Jin Huan. They are one and the same right now. Tai Ho says, that's wonderful. It's nice that you have a kind-hearted person who is able to take care of you. Unlike your brother, the 17th prince, who even now isn't married and doesn't have an official wife. If you've forgotten who the 17th prince is, he's the handsome, dashing younger brother of the emperor whom we've met a few episodes ago, and he's currently MIA. The emperor doesn't say anything, so Taiho continues and says, I haven't seen old 17 in a while. I wonder how he's doing. Obviously, Huang Shang interjects and says that if she wants to see him, I can tell him to come into the palace to visit you by noon. That's pretty reasonable, right? Wouldn't you do the same for your mother if she made this type of comment? Yes. Now, what does Tai Ho say? She goes, Yes, it would be lovely to see him, but if I see him, I might be reminded of when your father was still alive, how his mother, his, meaning the 17th prince's mother, was the the reigning concubine in the palace and had all of the attention of your father, which made the entire imperial harem resentful and jealous. At this point, you see the emperor completely silent and looking down, away from his mother. Tai Ho brushes this off by saying, Please excuse me. As I age, I like to think about things more and more in in the past, and I might prattle on. Don't mind me. But of course, the emperor knows exactly what she's trying to say and tell him to do. The emperor leaves quickly and is escorted out by Tai Ho's main maid. But he isn't stupid. I love this part. He wants to know who's been telling stories to his mother because his mother generally doesn't get too involved in matters of his hokong. But he doesn't outright ask the main maid who's been tattletaling on his uh, to his mother. He instead asks, "My mother's health hasn't been very good lately. Has Huafei come to see my mother to check on her health?" If you couldn't get it, it's because he thinks Huafei is the one gossiping. The maid says, Huafei is too busy dealing with matters of the imperial harem and hasn't stopped by. The maid also quips that Huang Ho, the empress, did stop by earlier, but only for a short while to help the empress dowager drink medicine, thus absolving Huang Ho from suspicion. But the maid follows up and says, However, Li Pin was here yesterday with Tai Ho and they chatted for a very long time. 
The emperor hears Li Pin and hurriedly walks away. Obviously very angry. Actually, Wait, I would say really? he like stomps away. He stomps away. Wait, really? So I took this in a completely different way. Um, I thought he wanted to see who has been spending time with Tai Ho so that he can give thanks because he's like, whoever spends time with Tai Ho is also a good thing to, for like filial piety, for filial piety. Or I totally just got it wrong. <laughs> yes, I don't think you got this right because what happens in the next scene that night, when being give, given the names of the um, the nameplates of the women who are available to the emperor each night. So, if you recall, this is the uh, the custom that every single night the women who are available have their nameplates available, and basically um, the emperor picks whatever woman, flips the nameplate, and um, for the woman that he wants to spend the night with, and that's the woman he chooses. That night, the emperor is looking through the names, and when he sees Li Pin's name, he scowls at the sight of it, and immediately, his head eunuch says, Oh, it looks like Li Pin's nameplate is dirty. Go fix it, and don't present it as an option for a few days. Do you understand what's happening? He is eliminating the opportunity for Li Pin to serve the emperor. This, I guess, is like the passive-aggressive way of punishing Li Pin because ultimately what women want is to be able to serve the emperor. He's like, nope, I don't want to see your nameplate on, on this thing for a while, so I'm not going to be able to see you. The reason why I love the scene between Tai Ho and Huang Shang is because everything between them was very passive-aggressive and subtle. If you want to know who the top tier boss is in the Imperial Harem, it is the Emperor, and then it's also the Empress Dowager. You saw that the end goal of the conversation was basically for the Emperor to not spend too much time with one woman for fear of growing too much resentment in Hokong, but the entire exchange from her first sentence of, it seems that someone nice is taking care of you. Tai Ho was intending for this conversation to go in a direction that could lead her to her final advice, if you will. She did not need to bring up the 17th prince, but she did it in order to talk about the 17th prince's mother. But of course, Tai Ho does not directly tell her son to be mindful. She's just being as tactful as possible. Listeners, do you talk to your mothers in this way? Perhaps you do. I just thought this scene was very interesting and fun because it's just so tiring. Something else to consider is that it is not entirely clear, to me at least, and Kathy, you can tell me differently, that... If Li Pin went to chat with Tai Ho on her own volition, or if Li Pin did it at the behest of Hua Fei. Remember, Li Pin is allied with Hua Fei, and I'm sure Huang Shang knows that they're in cahoots with one another. He can't punish Hua Fei necessarily because he needs her happy, but he doesn't have the same reservations towards Li Pin, who, unlike Hua Fei, does not have a powerful brother. So he's fine with passive-aggressively punishing her. That's just something to consider. What do you think, Kathy? Yeah, I think so too. But um, I also think that right now, Hua Fei, or let's say Huang Shang, is more just kind of annoyed that everyone is telling him not to spend time with Jin Huan, right? Even his mom. So I think he's just more mad and like lashing out. That's fair. 
Well, Yongzheng decides to go to Tifei's palace for the night. She, as uh, we recall, is the mother of the third prince. She's a little bit older, but in this scene, it's so cute. She's like, she doesn't know what to do. Once she hears the news, she hurriedly tells her maid to get her dressed in pink and to change her hairstyle. She wants to give her son a chance to talk to his father, but even the eunuchs are like, "Mm, that's not a good idea. And as a reminder, this woman, Tifei, has a son, and she's nearing middle age at this point. She's nowhere near as young and pretty as Jin Kwan, our main character, or even Hua Fei. So she's she's kind of up there in age, and um, she doesn't get the opportunity to see Huang Shang all that often because he's uh, more interested in the younger ladies. Well, Hua Fei, on the other hand, decides it's time to teach Shen Meizhuang a lesson after finding out that Huang Shang is not staying at Jin Huan's palace that night. Again, the movement and whereabouts of the emperor is known by literally everyone in the palace. Who he's spending the night with? Everybody knows. She summons Shen Meizhuang to copy some of the accounting books, but she orders her maid Song Zhi to blow out two candles. We see Shen Meizhuang struggling since she's straining her eyes to write. When she's done, Huafei makes a snarky comment on how poorly the penmanship is. Here I need to say Shen Meizhuang really still isn't adept at handling these types of situations. She responds that it's too dark, so it's a bit tough. Girl, why would you say that? You don't ever want to say it's something else's fault. Remember when Jin Huan was late, she didn't say anything. So nobody did anything. And sure enough, Hua Fei says, well, you know, I need to reduce costs in the palace. So that's why it's dark here. I've heard that if you're really, really good at calligraphy, um, you can write beautifully even in the dark. We were just congratulating Shen Meizhuang earlier about uh, some of her newfound abilities, but right now, without Jin Huan, she's back to her old self. Shen Meizhuang offers to rewrite it. Okay, yes, that might be the easiest way to mollify Hua Fei, but in my opinion, she definitely shouldn't have said anything earlier about the lack of candles. Otherwise, she wouldn't be in this situation. Okay, I also think that Hua Fei would have made her rewrite it regardless, but she kind of put herself in that position. And then what does Hua Fei do? She orders her maid to dim or blow out another two candles. So it's even doubly hard for her. Back at Tifei's palace, Tifei has changed into a pink Manchu gown and is all flustered with the emperor being there. She starts going on and on about her son and how he is trying to learn and be like his father. Yongzheng gradually gets more and more annoyed at this point, and he even says that she should stop wearing pink because it's not suitable for her age. She's better off wearing sapphire blue or green colors. Ouch. And with that, he's had enough and actually leaves. Poor Tifei. She's waited months and months for him to visit, and she blows it. Chen Huan is in her palace sort of sulking, and she decides to play a piece on her instrument, Gu Qin. The piece she plays is called Xiang Fei Yuan, which basically translates to The Sorrow of Concert Xiang. The poem is from a Song Dynasty poet, but the music for the instrument Gu Qin, I think, is actually from the Ming Dynasty. And the poem is based off the legend of the mythical emperor Shun. He died, and his two wives or concubines are mournful for their husband. 
So just to clarify, she is playing a piece, but she's also reciting a poem. Right. Yep. And the and the poem is called Sang Fei Yuan. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is the first time I think we're introduced to the Gu Qin. Let me take a second to explain it. It's not entirely relevant to the plot, but I still think it'll be fun to explain the, uh, this instrument as it is significant in Chinese history and pops up everywhere in historical Chinese dramas. Gu Qin using pinyin is spelled G-U-Q-I-N. It is one of the oldest Chinese instruments. It has over 3,000 years of history and was even a favored instrument of Confucius. This instrument is of the zither family. Not sure that means anything to most people, so let me explain what this is. It is a wooden instrument that is about a meter in length and about a foot wide with a number of strings attached that run the length of the, of the instrument. The strings were historically made of silk, but nowadays can be made of nylon or even steel. Currently, the number of strings that are on this instrument is seven, but this has changed throughout history. I think after a while, they standardized to seven. How you play it is you sit and put the instrument on a table, kind of like a coffee table, and the music is produced by plucking and pressing on the strings. Your right hand is used to pluck the strings, and the left hand is used for vibrato or changing keys and notes and tones. The sound that is produced, in my opinion, evokes a more somber tone. Even though the piece that you're playing can be cheery, I still think that the the music that is portrayed or the sound that is uh, played is more somber than a couple of other Chinese instruments. This instrument is absolutely beautiful to listen to and is generally a solo instrument because its sounds are generally softer. People play this instrument while singing or else reciting poetry. As we mentioned in this drama, Jin Huan is playing this piece and reciting the poem Kathy just mentioned earlier to better evoke her emotions. If it is to be paired with another instrument, the Gu Qin is generally paired with the Xiao, which is the other instrument that Jin Huan plays. Isn't that interesting? I actually never realized this, but the book, or at least the director of the show, really wanted to paint Jin Huan to be as much of an educated person as possible. Kathy, did you know that? No, I didn't. See, I didn't know that either. That was me doing research for this show. I think that's really cool that Xiao and Gu Qin are the two instruments that are portrayed together. And if you've forgotten, Xiao is the vertical uh, bamboo flute that you play. That's like kind of, you play kind of like a clarinet, but is not a clarinet. Gu Qin is also a favorite instrument of scholars. I mentioned that this is something that um, Confucius played, but a lot of the times when I think of this music, I think of some type of scholar, whether young or old, playing it while drinking tea and trying to come up with some poem to write. There is a very famous idiom that someone who is talented or educated should know qin qi shu hua. This means that they should know how to play this instrument, this gu qin. They should know how to play Chinese go, which is what qi stands for. They need to know how to read, and they, for and that means shu, and they also need to know how to paint, hua. So the four things that a talented person needs to know is how to play this qin instrument, play chess or Chinese go, read, and then also paint. 
Learning the guqin is a high class and very elegant activity. I mentioned that scholars play this instrument, but emperors play it, and even some military generals, very famous ones in Chinese history, have learned how to play guqin very well. People who master guqin are generally thought of as calm, elegant, and light. And when you listen to this music, it is incredibly calming and stirs up very subtle but powerful emotions. There are over 3,300 pieces written for guqin that we actually have documentation for uh, that are written through the ages. Something that is very interesting is that there are well-known names of these songs or well-known pieces that have been passed down through time. But the names of these pieces are more well-known rather than the specific composer. Primarily because a lot of the time the music is compiled together, passed down, and improved upon through generations or through the dynasties. What we have today in archives may not be the original scores. This is distinctly different from Western classical music. You have your Mozart, your Beethoven, your Haydn that are very well known for their various pieces of music, but you really don't have a whole lot of that in China. It's mostly, yes, I know this piece. It's very famous and perhaps originated from this dynasty, or this piece is describing a love story from a specific dynasty. Chinese music isn't named as a symphony number no. 40 or a sonatina in G. These concepts don't apply. Symphonic structure or concert structure does not apply. It's primarily, I want this piece to be called Flowing Water or Plum Blossoms, and that's what it's going to be called. Okay. Also, yes, Sun Li, the actress that is playing Jin Huan, is doing her hardest to play this Gu Qin. Um, but that's not how you play it. Um, and just as a, a note that all the music also is dubbed, so no, it's not her actually playing Gu Qin. Um, I just watched a video on YouTube, and uh, the placement of her right hand specifically is wrong of how she plucks it. But we'll give her all the props for trying and having at least some hand placements right, so we'll give her that. <laughs> Anyways, that was a very long explanation about Guqin, so I think we should probably get back to the story. Yep. Well, who decides to pop up as Jin Huan is playing her piece, the emperor? They get all lovey-dovey again, and he stays. He gives Jin Huan a nickname, Huan Huan, which is just the last character in her name said twice. So Jin Huan and Huan Huan, right? Which also is, comes from the poem that uh, started this whole interaction way back in like the first episode, Huan Huan Yi Niao Chu Gong Yao. So the first two words, Huan Huan. Okay, this also gives me kind of not great feelings because he's like how old and she's so young. So, okay, we'll leave that here, but whatever. Back at Hua Fei's palace, Shen Mei Zhuang finishes up and she said she even did double the work because she knows her work is probably not good enough. So here, here you are. Hua Fei, who has been taking a nap, finally dismisses her. I feel like for this episode or this evening, Shen Mei Zhuang is just making one terrible decision after another. She exits Hua Fei's palace and decides that, oh, I want to take a stroll to this pond to look at some red fish. Like, what? It's night? It's dark? You shouldn't be doing this. Sure enough, all of her servants get summoned away and she's by herself, happily looking and enjoying the evening view. Can we guess what happens? Yeah, someone pushes her into the water. 
Fortunately, in the next scene, we find out that she has been rescued and she is being looked after by a number of Imperial doctors. The Emperor is even personally making a visit to check on her. Jin Huan and also Jin Pin are there to see what happened. The doctors say that she's going to be fine, but is currently unconscious from having choked on water and is uh, suffering from quite a fright. Who shows up not long after? None other than Hua Fei herself. She is nicely dressed with a full face of makeup on. She comes in to basically say that she can't believe something like this happened and turns on the servants of Shen Mei Zhuang. She chastises the servants for negligence and is proposing to have them sent to Hou Gong's version of prison. On one hand, it's to punish the servants for not protecting their master, but on the other, you can see it as further punishment towards Shen Mei Zhuang as Hua Fei is hoping to remove any and all support that Shen Mei Zhuang has. Luckily, Jin Huan steps in and is able to save the servants from being sent away. Jin Huan is able to turn the tables quickly and actually tells the emperor that part of the reason that Shen Mei Zhuang is unconscious is because the palace guards at Hua Fei's palace, Yi Kuangong, weren't able to save Shen Mei Zhuang quickly enough. It's probably a good idea to switch this batch of palace guards to a new batch of palace guards to guard Hua Fei's palace, who are better at their jobs in order to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again. Jin Huan says this time it was my friend Shen Mei Zhuang, but next time, what if something happens to Hua Fei? We cannot let that happen. Hua Fei hears this and doesn't want this to happen, but the emperor agrees that something like this cannot happen again, so he asks the guards to be switched immediately. Well, there's not much that Hua Fei can do, so she invites the emperor back to her palace for some soup to soothe the strain of the day. They leave while Jin Huan stays to watch over her friend. Everyone in the palace is trying to figure out who or what caused Shen Mei Zhuang to fall into the water. They don't know that somebody pushed her, so it's all conjecture as to what happened. Jin Huan, Huang Hou the Empress, and also Jin Pin, the ruling concubine of the palace that Shen Mei Zhuang lives, all in their separate palace think that it's Hua Fei. But they can't understand how or why she would do something so close to her palace. It's pretty dumb. Wouldn't you want to avoid suspicion? But then, a reasoning is that for someone to have the gall and guts to commit this type of crime so close to Hua Fei's palace means that it must be somebody close to Hua Fei or Hua Fei herself said it was okay to do so. Otherwise, Hua Fei would be furious that something like this happened so close to her palace. However, Huang Hou is correct in theorizing that even though everyone in their hearts knows exactly who did it, as, as long as Huang Sheng doesn't know who did it, it doesn't really matter what everybody else thinks. At this point, Huang Sheng doesn't believe Hua Fei is the culprit, so not much can be done here. I actually think that is a little bit different because I think Huang Sheng knows, but because Hua Fei still has her brother out fighting, he can't really say anything. He can't punish her. Shimei Zhuang is still just a lowly noble lady, and Hua Fei is Hua Fei, so even if he knows that she did it, he still won't punish her. Hua Fei the next day is seething that Jin Huan has been able to change her palace guards. This means that it's much less convenient for Hua Fei to go in and out with these new guards, and she turns her attention to Jin Huan in order to enact some type of revenge. 
We'll discuss that more in the next episode. The episode ends with Shen Meizhuang waking up and furious at what happened. She tells Jin Huan that she didn't just fall into the water, somebody pushed her. She knows in her heart that it has to be Hua Fei, but because she has no evidence, she can't do much to fight Hua Fei. All she can say to the emperor is that she was clumsy and fell into the water herself. Which is really sad. She's saying this and she's, you know, crying her eyes out. But she has resolve and says, I will get my revenge against Hua Fei at some point. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Dramas. If you have any comments or questions, again, please feel free to email us at chasingdramaspodcast at gmail.com. Kathy and I are very excited to continue on discussing this drama. If you have anything in particular you want us to discuss, please let us know. Please reach out to us. And we look forward to having you with us in our next episode. Hope you have a great week.